1: Before the internet, it's a wonder that people were able to find any information at all. Well, what if we were to do a search through old literature for inferences to wine? One of the first references in literature is attributed to Homer. In the Iliad, Achilles looks out over the water at a wine-dark sea and laments the funeral of his lover. Meanwhile, Hesiod is much more practical as he describes life as a wealthy farmer between 600 and 700 BC in Greece. In his cornerstone work that outlines everyday Greek life, works and days, he talks about vineyard work and drinking wine when the work is done. When the snail climbs up the plants from the earth to escape the Pleiades, then it is no longer the season for digging vineyards. When the artichoke flowers and the chirping grasshopper sits in a tree and pours down his shrill song continually from under his wings in the season of wearisome heat, then goats are plumpest and wine sweetest. Women are most wanton and men are feeblest, because Sirius parches head and knees and the skin is dry through heat. But at that time, let me have a shady rock and wine of Biblis, a clot of curds and milk of drained goats with the flesh of a heifer fed in the woods. Then also let me drink bright wine, sitting in the shade when my heart is satisfied with food, and so turning my head to face the fresh zephyr from the ever-flowing spring which pours down unfouled, thrice pour an offering of water, but make a fourth libation of wine. A little bit later in The Pardoner's Tale, Chaucer drives home the concept that greed is the root of all evil. Three men set out to kill Death. But on the way, they meet an old man who must wander the earth until he finds someone who will exchange their youth for his old age. They turn him down. Even Death does not want his life, he cries. The boys ask where they can find Death and are directed to a tree with gold beneath it. They wait until night to move their treasure but in the meantime, draw straws to see who will go off to get food and drink. The youngest leaves and returns with white wine from Lepe that was fortified at San Lucar, a possible precursor to sherry. But before he returns, he gets greedy and he poisons the wine so he can keep the gold to himself. But little did he know, his friends decided to kill him and split his share. They stab him and then drink the poison wine, and all three boys find who they were searching for, death. And we all feel guilty about any greed we may have ever felt towards money. And while we're on the topic of early sherry, in Henry IV by William Shakespeare, Falstaff, a practicing drunk, describes the glories of sack, a white fortified wine imported from Spain. A good sherry's sack hath a twofold operation in it, it ascends me into the brain, dries me there all the foolish and dull and curdy vapors which environ it, makes it apprehensive, quick, forgettive, full of nimble, fiery, and delectable shapes, which delivered o'er the voice the tongue, which is the birth, becomes excellent wit. And hundreds of years later, I think we can all still relate to the wit you can experience after a few sips. Sometimes those sips are slow, as you watch the clock at a bar, whiling away the glass. In Ulysses, James Joyce describes one such of Mr. Bloom's pub scenes. A warm shock of air, heat of mustard, haunched on Mr. Bloom's heart. He raised his eyes and met the stare of a bilious clock. Hmm. Two. Club clock five minutes fast. Time going on. Hands moving. Two? Not yet. His midriff yearned, then upward, sank within him, yearned more longly, longingly. Wine. He smell-sipped the cordial juice and, bidding his throat strongly to speed it, set his wine glass delicately down, But then, somewhere along the way, wine became a status symbol. In Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, self-made Hank Reardon relates wine to success. Reardon glanced at the soft twilight around them, then at the sparkle of two wine glasses on their table. Dagny, in my youth, when I was working in the ore mines in Minnesota, I thought that I wanted to reach an evening like this. I thought that someday I would sit in a place like this, where one drink of wine would cost more than my day's wages, and I would have earned the price of every minute of it and every drop and of every flower on the table, and I would sit there for no purpose but my own amusement. And yet, Ernest Hemingway in Immovable Feast scoffs at the idea of wine as a status symbol. In Europe, then, we thought of wine as something healthy and normal as food and also a great giver of happiness and well-being and delight. Drinking wine was not a snobism, nor a sign of sophistication, nor a cult. It was as natural as eating, and to me as necessary, and I would not have thought of eating a meal without drinking either wine or cider or beer. Now that's literature. Thanks for summing it up, Ernest because nor would we have thought of eating a meal without drinking either wine or cider or beer.
0: It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at OffsetPartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, Partners with an S.com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Christoph Schaefer of Weingott, Willy Schaefer, on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Good to see you. I'm glad to be here. So it's a family estate and the vineyards are in the middle of Mosel. Where about are you? Uh,
2: we are situated in Grach, which is yeah really uh, in, in the middle of the Mosel. And it's a small town very close to Bernkastel, which is... Maybe the the center of Middle Mosel, but it's not big. <laughs> it's, it's also just uh, ten thousand people, and uh, Grach itself it's uh, seven hundred people, so a small town, but with uh, yeah really great vineyards.
0: What's the town of Graach like? I mean, on an average day. Since we have
2: now been in New York, it's it's very different. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, it's, it's very quiet. You, you may uh, yeah you meet your neighbors on, on the street and uh, have a little chat with them and uh, but it's uh, really not that crowded and uh, so uh, yeah it's it's i think the real opposite to what uh, we see here
0: in new york now is it mostly a town of vineyard or
2: yes it it used to be so uh, in in the 50s i nearly would say every house was involved in vineyards and wine Uh, but with the years it's it's now changing a bit that you don't have that many estates itself in, in Graf, or I think it's it's the, the whole change. You, you see at the most that you have uh, less estates which, which really can exist. But in earlier days, it was really that you could live with a little parcel. <laughs> and so these times have changed. And so many people have other jobs now or are still involved in wine. But the, the estates are not that many that you have uh, 50 years ago. And uh, so... Things are changing. Some estates get maybe bigger than you had it before, uh, but not huge. And so that's, I think, the, the biggest change you see during the last years.
0: You've been at the family estate since 2002.
2: Yes. Yeah. But the thing is, you're born in the estate and you, you see all the things Every day and, and you, you grow up with the estate and with with the, the vineyards and so many things y- you see are just normal for you because you've seen them your whole life. It makes it for sure on one hand easier to learn or just have the knowledge because you're born in it and you, you have seen the things every day. But it was very good that my parents never uh, said, you have to go and have to take over the estate. They really said, it's your decision. And I think it's very important, especially when, when you look at the very steep slopes uh, we, we have at the Mosul, I think it's very important that you can take your own decision to follow your father's, grandfather's uh, ways. Not that you have to do it, because I think uh, working in these steep slopes, it's not that nice if you don't like it. And so you, you need to have the passion for it. And you, you want it. You have to want it by yourself to go on with the estate and work in these steep slopes. Otherwise, I think you, you would hate it. And for me, it was good to work in the estate since you're a child and you see things, but never having the pressure to go on. But with the years, uh, yeah, you see it's, it's a great thing and great chances you have with these fantastic vineyards. And uh, when you taste the wines, it's just uh, f- fantastic chances you have with, with these in this area and with these vineyards. And uh, so I started to study in Geisenheim. And also during that time, I worked a little bit abroad. In different countries to see something else also and to just to learn much more and to develop yourself and uh, so in 2002 i just came officially in the estate and uh,
0: i'm working since that time officially and your dad has been there since the early 70s willie is his name although it's a different willie than the the name of the estate you know it's the same name but different guy
2: right yes yeah, so uh, we we have Let's say several Willies in line, <laughs> uh, and uh, I also have uh, a name Willie in, in the second name. So your middle name is Willie. Yes. But, uh, at a certain point, my my grandmother said, "Now it's enough with this Willie," <laughs> because uh, my grandfather was named Willie, my great grandfather was named Willie, and my father was named Willie. And she said, "Yeah, if you call Willie." Everyone comes or nobody comes. And so, uh, it's confusing but, with the male. <laughs> yes, that's Enough. it. And so, uh, yeah, I, but I'm happy to have it in the second name. So they also can see that we have a quite long. History. In the estate with um, the Schaeffers, we can officially follow the Schäfer line back until the 60th century. And also, an ancient got a vineyard as a gift in the 12th century, so that we are quite long involved in vineyards and wine, but always as a small family estate. What's your dad like as a person? He really likes to spend a lot of time with small little details, and uh, that was. For me also great to see and learn how you have to focus on every little step you have to, to really get a great wine because there are so many little steps you have to follow and you have to taste and to take care of every little thing you do because that takes an influence and uh, so it's great that it also works like it works with his father and him that you have a certain time you work together and Learn from each other that you that it's was was never that that you had a strict point where generation was changed more or less, so it was really, I think, a, a great situation that you could learn from
0: the older generation but also bring your new spirit and your energy in the estate. Because even though you joined the estate in 02, it, it wasn't like then your dad left, you guys still work together every day. oh uh, yes, yeah, you're still involved in the estate. But for sure, with
2: the years slowing down more, so more work is on my side. (laughs) But it's uh, always good to discuss and to taste the wines together and talk about the vintage and uh, give your own expression and thoughts about maybe what is the special thing about the new vintage. And uh, so it's it's just great to talk about these things. And uh, even maybe if you have to talk about the wines, you, you taste maybe more intensive because you have to talk about it and not uh, sitting there by yourself and uh, taking decisions and uh, that's I think a great thing to, to have this exchange.
0: When you came back from school and also when you came back from South Africa, California and the Nahai, did you find that you had a little different perspective on perhaps how to do things or did you feel like everything that had been set up had been set up in the correct manner? Yeah, this is a question. <laughs> often because they think
2: yeah you go to california but how can you compare it with mosul with these steep slopes or south africa and but i think it's just for your personal development it was great to do this because you see different countries to see different wine regions and yeah i'm always very interested in seeing different wine regions of, or for my my own interest. It's, it's not just that I would say, it's Riesling, that's it. <laughs> and uh, for, for sure, for, for Mosul and for our estate, that's it. <laughs> but w- uh, what
0: you make is Riesling, that's it. Y-
2: yes, that's it. Uh, but yeah, you, you always see many little things, how... They work in that country or where they have their focus on and what they think it's good to do. And uh, it just uh, gives you a different view of things. And uh, that, I think, helped me a lot to grow also and, and to get a bigger knowledge about the, the whole wine world. And uh, therefore, it was a fantastic experience to see these different uh, countries and also, for sure, always traveling wine regions. It's not a bad region to be. Because
0: it's pleasant climate. Yes, You mentioned steep slopes. What are the vineyards that you work with your father? What are the family holdings? We are situated in Grach, so we
2: are focused on the two areas we have in Grach. It's uh, Dompropst and Himmelreich, and uh, then we have also a little part in Wehlner Sonnenur, but it's the same hillside, so... Staying in front of the hill, you have on the left-hand side, you have the Vilna Sonnur, then Graha Dombrubst starts, and on the right-hand side, you have Graha Himmelreich. So it's a, the same hillside, and it's, I think, fascinating to see how different the characters can be from these three vineyard sites. For sure, we are in Graha, so we are much more focused on Dombrubst than in Himmelreich in terms of how many parcels we have, and it's... At the moment that we have two hectares in domprops and two hectares in himmelreich and
0: just a tiny bit in sonnoir i should really understand them as basically adjacent vineyards himmelreich being next to the domprost being next to wellness
2: yeah yeah there is uh, nothing in between sometimes Mm. if you taste the wines you would think there it's more in between but it's really one great hillside you have with nothing in between it's just a different situation in looking at soil and uh, that gives different characters to the Riesling wines there.
0: It's all Riesling, but some of the vines are ungrafted.
2: Yes. Yeah, we have also many parts that are very old. And that also means uncrafted. And I think that's a great potential because we are really looking for having old wines. That means the berries get smaller and the vines develop a certain idea how to grow and so they are i think a little bit more relaxed if you have a young vine, really wants to show what it's about and, and wants to produce a lot of grapes but that's not in terms of intensity and taste and therefore we are very happy to have many very old wines and, and the youngest are about now 20 years these are the, the youngest wines we have but uh, most of the, the vineyards we have are uncrafted, that means they are about uh, 70 years old. Or for some parcels or vines, you not even know when they were planted because it's not very common to replant the whole vineyard it's just the idea to replace a vine that it's not working anymore because for sure if you don't get any grapes from this vine, it's not uh, really sensible to keep it in the vineyard so but that is how it was made always have to say that they just replant one vine that is not working anymore so we have a real old stock of uncrafted Riesling vines and uh, they really bring lower yields by itself so you don't have to regulate them. And then you get very small grapes which show a great intensity and in taste.
0: How should I understand the differences between Himmelreich and Domprost in terms of is the slate different? Is the exposure a little different? How is it different in the vineyard? Both uh,
2: vineyards have this blue slate, blue Devonian slate, which brings great minerality to the wines, but Dompropst has a bit more heavier soil, you find much more rock parts in it. That means the, the, the wines get a bit more powerful, but still in a very elegant way, and the wines are a bit more earthy. And uh, in Himmelreich, the soil is a bit more lighter. That means the wines get much more charming, showing more the recent fruit itself. And we uh, think it's great to show this difference of these vineyards.
0: In terms of the drinking, might I approach the Himmelreich wines before the Domprost wines if I were to open them in my own cellar, or how would you go about
1: it?
2: Yes, it's often if you don't know the characters of the vineyards, it's a thing that you taste the wines maybe when the, just before bottling. Himmelreich is always showing a lot, so you taste them young and say, "Wow." You just could drink it right away or it's it's already very charming and very good to drink. Uh, and Domprobst can be a bit more hard to understand when it's very young. needs a bit more time to develop. So that's, I think, the, the main difference that Himreich, even when it's young, shows maybe a little bit earlier what the wine is about and gives you a good drinking feeling. And uh, Dompropst just needs a bit more time to develop or to find its harmony sometimes. And therefore, it's often good to wait a bit longer with opening a, a Dome probe wine. But for sure, also depending a bit on the vintage itself, which makes a difference. But that's, I think, the, the main thing that Heimler is often just right there, charming and very elegant and fruity. And Dome is a bit more rough and maybe
0: unready. And what about the approachability of Valner Sonar that you make compared to those other two wines?
2: I think it's for us great to have these parcels also just to compare with Dompropst and Himmelreich, because it also gives you a different character. Uh, maybe a little bit in between these two vineyards, Domprobst and Himmelreich, that you have it's a bit more the stronger character of Domprobst, but often also a very elegant fruitiness. Maybe not like Himmelreich, which is often showing more the yellow fruit, like peaches. In uh, Sonnenau, I think you often find a bit more of an exotic touch, and uh, so it's for us uh, also great to have uh, little parcels in vilna Sonnor because it's also a great vineyard.
0: Are these three vineyards vinified more or less the same? Yes
2: yeah it's, it's the the same idea we have for these vineyards but for sure we are quite northern with Mosel and so you never know how weather will be during summer or do you get a real summer or what what happens with the weather and so it's good to have maybe different options that means that you may for some vineyards you you start with one cane to have a low yield right from the beginning or you start with two canes and then for these vineyards you have a look late august to maybe do a green harvest or not just to see how development is and uh, so that is what we just try to get the best out of the vintage to have also the chances to let's say not gamble but to have uh, different options
0: work with and what is your feeling towards botrytis in the wines that you make
2: for sure since we are very much focused also on the wines with residual sugar we are happy to have a good and clean botrytis at a certain point but in terms of tasting it in the wines itself it's for us more thing that we would like to have a very good selection that it maybe supports the taste but not losing the riesling fruit itself so that it's just dominated by botrytis And uh, for sure, looking at Auslese level, you have a much higher percentage of botrytis that you get the influence much more. But it's for us often more interesting to lose maybe a little little bit of, let's say, concentration, but having a better wine, also adding some of the very ripe and rich yellow berries from the very old wines to get this fresh, lively taste also for the Auslese uh, wines, which... uh, think it's very important to have even an Auslese very lively and elegant and so that it's more the butryatis should support the taste or the complexity of the wine but not just that you just taste butryatis it's more that you keep the fruitiness and maybe for sure get more the influence in terms of flavors from butryatis that you get much more honey and this types of fruit you find but you're not Think it's botrytis. It's but
0: it's you you see it's coming from the botrytis. So you make about in every year is different, but about thirty-five thousand bottles each year.
2: Yes, that's I think a a nice number, (laughs) but it's uh, really uh, hard to have it. I I don't think we ever had it the last five six years to have this amount of bottles. It's just the average amount of bottles where we think it's good to have this yields to to get these bottles. But uh, yeah then the vintage comes and that can change your ideas or the nature really gives you what uh, nature thinks it's makeable in this year and so sometimes for example looking at some 13 we will just have half of this uh, and other vintages you may have a little bit more but it's just to, to give the people an idea what we think it's good because a uh, thing is you you want to have a, a ripe grape therefore you you can't get as much as possible from each wine. And uh, so we are thinking of this number
0: could be a good, sensible quantity to harvest. What percentage of that in a typical year, although I guess no year is really typical, but what tends to be dry wine, Groske Vox, and what tends to be prodigate, nobly sweet wines of that production?
2: That's really... The same thing nature says what we can do. So that's also, I have
0: to say, a great
2: thing that we don't have to make any compromises. That also the the, the people who like our wines, or like us, that they say, okay, we trust you. And they never say you have to produce so and so much of this wine and that wine. And uh, so we really want to keep it very consequently on that what nature gives us. And then we make the wines of that vintage Which we have. And that also means that we don't have the chance or not always have the chance to produce every wine we could. It often happens that you just make half of the wines you could. And therefore, it's really uh, for us important to show the vintage character and to keep this and not to make just wines taste every year the same. It's really for us important to work out what the vintage is about and also show vintage character. And that also means that you in some vintages don't find all the wines or if, if the vintage is not about a bernauslis or ba to do this selection because you don't have the concentration we don't do it or the same with the dry wines if the vintage is not about making a dry wine we don't do it
0: what about those vintages say from 2002 to 2013 what was o2 like what was 0 three like etc
2: I think the, the last years we, we can be very happy at Mosul because all the vintages got a fantastic ripeness. That means high quality wines, but always showing the character of the vintage. And so yeah, you have a great variation, I think, of characters that you have, vintages that are showing more Riesling fruit itself. Some are more showing the minerality and acidity structure. And so I think it's always hard also to compare the vintages you have nowadays with older vintages for sure you, you can give the people an idea to compare it with with another vintage and by uh,
0: older you mean like the 67 yes
2: yeah so. yeah yeah often they show their own very own character also and uh, so it's more uh maybe that that you find some vintages are getting a bit more fruit-driven or showing more the Riesling fruit and some are much more showing the minerality and the raciness of the Riesling. And uh, I think that's great to have also this range and that you get really the characters out of each vintage. And uh, so, yeah, for example, you had 2004, 2008, which are more showing the, the classical Riesling style with a bit more uh, minerality and acidity structure. And then for sure you had 2003, which was really showing enormous uh, fruitiness uh, really a rich and ripe fruit component and then you had 2005 2007 2009 which was great balance between a rich fruit but also very good acidity, which is yeah for for us always important to have this because the wines have uh, residual sugar that means you need a bag to keep the sugar lively and therefore we need the acidity and that's very important for us to keep the liveliness and therefore we are happy to have the acidity but it needs to be a ripe acidity that it just supports the the liveliness and so very happy with the last uh, years we had what was 2013 like again something that i have also not had in that extreme part before because yields went very low uh it was not really that you could expect it during summer that it would be so low and uh yeah i really think it was the fastest harvest we had in our estate so it was about 13 days from the beginning we are have been finished but even taking sunday off (laughs) so was really enormous fast harvest and uh, how long does it usually take it can take up to six weeks, mm-hmm. really depending on how situation outside the vineyard is, because for us it's important to harvest at the perfect ripeness point and the grapes look good. Uh, it's often that you do first selection and leave the, the grapes where you think it's good to, to give give them some more ripeness, leave them for another two weeks in the vineyard and take them later. And then you just win in terms of ripeness and taste so much. Maybe not in, in terms of öxler, but it's just a totally different wine if you would have taken them two weeks earlier. And uh, if the weather helps you, it can take six weeks if it's possible until we finish harvest. But the the last years maybe have been a bit more showing also that you can have a more extreme parts or vintages that the the perfect window for the harvest can be smaller than you had it really looking uh, 20 30 years ago that you had really the ripeness but that was for example in, in 2013 you had to wait really until end of October because uh, the, the start of the vintage was very late so even in, in September we expected to have a more harvest like classical in in november so quite late but then everything changed in uh, october that uh, the ripeness went on quite fast the the skin of the berries got very soft and so the development was really fast that you say okay now we have to harvest uh, to get at least a little bit in the cellar to to get a bit of wine and then the the ripeness was just there and uh, so the the window for the harvest was just uh, these two weeks, I think, uh, because afterwards also the, the rain came again and uh, so was a tricky harvest. And uh, But tasting the wines now in the cellar, we are very happy uh, how, how the wines taste and, and how great complexity the vintage has.
0: So did that mean you had to call on extra help to get the grapes harvested in a short period of time?
2: yes we were very happy to to have a good crew and uh, even for our little estate with, with four hectares we had the last days we had about nearly 30 people helping us so we were asking everyone uh, This is four
0: hectares and 30 people is a lot of people
2: it's a lot of people and normally i would go crazy when 30 people would bring grapes in but not in 2013 because uh, yeah they were more running through the vineyards and harvesting because it uh, was just little yields there but it was important to get the grapes in. And so we were happy that also the people who normally help us, that they asked maybe the, the wife or daughter to also help us because we have many people from Car itself who uh, support us greatly during harvest or also if, it's, if you need to do some leaf work during summer, that they are helping us. And uh, so, yeah, we had a great crew and could really manage to get the grapes in very fast.
0: Is it normally a certain amount of passes through a vineyard or does it happen sort of in one pass in a normal year or in a given year or is it five or six passes or how many times do you usually go through?
2: At least two times but maybe having during one of these times a special selection that you, there are separate grapes also in that selection you do to maybe get a bit more the the really perfect botrytis grapes selected from the others in one selection. But it's, yeah, I think two times it's a
0: good selection. So once the grapes get to the cellar door, what happens next? How are they handled in the winery? Itself?
2: For us, it's really important to get the perfect harvest point because then you have your 100%. So then you have your perfect quality and that's what we want to put in the bottle. That means working as gently as possible during the whole time we have the grapes, the juice and the wine in the cellar and even there oh yeah we we like to let nature express itself so we press very gently and just
0: like a pneumatic press or
2: yes mm. yeah yeah and uh, so the, the grapes fall per gravity down in, in the press. We crush them or do whole cluster pressing, depending on the vintage, depending on how the grapes look like. And we don't work with a strict plan. You really have to see what you have at that moment and to find out what's the perfect thing to do at that point and that can change from day to day or from vintage to vintage or when you look what was perfect in the year before can be totally wrong in the next vintage and so you have to trust yourself and to taste a lot what happens if you do something and uh, therefore it means crushing or not or just do a whole cluster pressing and then the juice yeah runs down in the cellar for gravity and we just leave them for settling down no filtration and then we just drag them in the oak barrels for fermentation
0: and what are those oak
2: barrels like? They are very traditional. Uh, we have this Fuder that we traditionally have at the Mosel. That's a barrel, maybe looks like a big barrique. That's 1,000 liter, so bigger.
0: So it's pretty big, because a barrique is usually like two, 250 yes, yeah, liters, yeah. and that's.
2: And also, the thing is that they are quite old, so we, we don't replace them. If they are good, we like to keep them as long as possible, because for us, it's just a thing in terms of looking at the development but not giving any oak flavors to the Riesling because that would destroy all the elegance and the the light fruitiness uh, you get from these wines. And so our barrels are 50 to 60 years old and it's great to have them because uh, it's, uh, yeah... One, one important step for the wines, because you can balance all the components greatly, I think, uh, if you have. Because we are working with higher acidities, and to get all the components, the acidity, the fruitiness, in a great balance, it's good to have them fermented and uh, several times in the oak barrels.
0: I really like the wines of Schaefer, and one of the things I like so much about them is the texture. It feels like there's a lot in them, although they're still energized and clean. Is that texture coming from a leaves component? Do you typically leave the wines on the leaves for a while? That's again,
2: (laughs) depending on the vintage, it's for sure that we have an idea how the wines should taste in the end. But it's also for us very important to just maybe follow the wines and really let nature do work. And we just slightly put it in a direction when we think, okay, maybe that's not good if it goes like this. Or especially looking at the fermentation, if it goes too fast, we have to cool them down to slow down the fermentation. Because then you just lose quality and that's not what we want. But if everything runs... So
0: using temperature to control the uh, fermentation
2: speed. Yeah, not, not really temperature control. It's that you measure it by... yeah. I I taste them and then measure it. uh, And then we can cool down the barrels with just cool water. Oh, I see. If if necessary.
0: outside of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Got
0: it. Yeah, or uh,
2: inside that we have a stainless steel component that we can put in each barrel to cool them down if necessary. I see. So it like
0: goes inside.
2: Yes, yeah. And then you run cool water through it. And then you can cool down. But normally, yeah, we are quite late. That means cellar is cool, and it's just 1,000 liters, so it's not 80,000-liter tank, which heats up enormously, uh, and normally the heat goes away by itself. But if they would go too fast, we would uh, slow them down in cooling the the barrels. But it's not that we would have, let's say, temperature control, that we say we have to have a certain temperature, because we, we like to have each barrel find its way and if it goes slowly with 17 degrees we are happy if it goes slowly with 15 or sometimes it's just a very cool harvest that you have very cool temperatures even the the fermentation goes with 12 degrees so but it's if it's going slowly we don't want to give the barrel a pressure to have a certain temperature
0: I've heard it said that you clean the barrels with water and then let the water sit in the barrels before, obviously, the harvest. And then you taste the water to see if there's any off flavors from the wood. Is that Does that actually happen?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, that, that's important, that you really take care of your barrels and make sure that they are neutral, that they don't give any negative influence to the wines or to the juice because that would take a very negative influence and therefore it's important to check before harvest if every oak barrel is perfectly clean and uh, neutral and then we still work like my grandfather before that we take them from the racks and we call it schwenken. That means we take them from the normal racks and have wooden racks in front of the barrel cellar and then we put boiling water in it and close it and rinse them
0: so that we really move the barrels and get them prepared for the new vintage. I've heard you say multiple times in this interview that it really depends on the vintage character and responding to that. But it's amazing on this side in the market, because what you often hear in the market working with the wines is the Schaefer wines are super consistent. Every year, they're really good. Like doesn't matter. It could be 06. It could be 07. It could be 08. It could be 09. They're tremendous wines every year. Like that's, you know, oh, Schaefer, you know, I'll get it every year. It's always going to be good. But it it sounds like on your side, it's a constant readjustment to make sure that that happens. It's not, you know, a set recipe in a way that you might think it would be with the consistency and the flavor. It's more an idea of we're going to change this a little bit to get to the idea of where we want to be because this is what's happening this year. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for first I have to... Thank you that uh, people are
2: uh, talking so good about our wines because uh, that's great to hear and yeah, for sure helps us to go on our way. But it's really, uh, I think, if you really take care of each vintage and of the character of the vintage, because you always will have a great vintage if you work good. Some vintage makes it for you maybe easier to get this results. Sometimes you have to work harder. But in the end, yeah, if you have the feeling for the wines and for the grapes you you always can get your ideas out of each vintage but therefore you have to taste a lot and see what happens if you do something to get the wines you like to have in the end and uh, therefore it's very important to taste a lot to know your vineyards and uh, know what you have to do in this special situations you have then.
0: and you mentioned that sometimes these vintage variations have become a bit more extreme from year to year perhaps because of climate change. Is that something you really feel that one year might be very different than the next?
2: Different, yes. That I think it's that you have much more of the extreme weather situations that I can't really remember that people were talking about these things 30 years ago that you had this differ in terms of extreme rain or hail that we got more often. And uh, so um, there, I think... Oh, you see a
0: certain influence of the weather change. and So it's an extreme event, not an extreme vintage. Like something happens that's very extreme, but it's not that the vintages themselves are very different from one another. It's We had a lot of hail that year, or we had a lot of rain.
2: Yes, it's, I think the, the great thing that you always got the perfect ripeness the last year. So looking at the 70s or 60s, you maybe had in, in a decade three vintages, which have been on a fantastic high level, Then you had three vintages which were average, but then you had also vintages Yeah, you were happy to reach cabinet level and sometimes they even were small cabinets and these vintages disappeared totally. And uh, So it's uh, at the moment making a lot of fun to work at Mosul because every vintage gets ripe, but uh, you still keep the characters of the region and you still have this great acidity but it's a ripe acidity but not losing the acidity and It's not that you have this really big change because you always have also the the maybe classical vintages like uh, 2008 or even 2012 where you had this great acidity structure. And so, but with just the point that you have a fantastic ripeness in these vintages also where you maybe 30, 40 years ago would be hard to to taste these wines because uh, the average temperature would just have been lower that means the whole development through the summer would
0: have been slower and 2010 would come to mind for me as a one where you have a lot of ripeness but also a lot of acidity did that hold true for you yes yeah
2: it's it's really a vintage which i've never seen before or even talking to older people they never have seen such a vintage before because there you really have a, a extreme high acidity structure but a very ripe acidity so Normally, when you go on in ripeness, the acidity just gets riper and also goes down. But in 2010, you had this extreme situation that with the time the ripeness went on, the concentration went on, and so the acidity just stayed on a very high level, even if you had the ripeness. And so it's, an, I think, a fantastic vintage, because you, you get an enormous intensity in that vintage. but especially for sweet wines it was uh, f- fantastic because yeah you have this acidity but also the the strong character to go with his acidity and so it's great to see what it's possible in the last years that you have very different
0: vintage characters also but always on a very very high quality level and speaking of differences schaefer bottles different ap numbers so it'll say the same product or gg the same vineyard the same producer same year but a different ap number and that's a different wine than something that has that same label with uh, an alternate ap number how should i understand that what are the differences between those bottlenecks
2: the thing is that we have maybe in total two hectares in dompropst two hectares in himmelreich but that doesn't mean that it's just one vineyard in dompropst and one vineyard in himmelreich we have many many different little parcels all over the hillside and uh, when, when you see the the hillside there's a great texture also in it that means the hillside variates a bit and so there you find in each parcel different characters showing the character of the area but often also in a different way and that's for us a great thing also to show that you have these differences and sometimes it's really that you don't have the chance to do a blend because the the blend is not the best solution because you you taste the two barrels and say wow they have that great own character and then you do the blend and say hmm, the blend is okay but not what you have tasted in the two barrels and uh, then it's for us because yeah we are very close with each barrel that you cannot decide to do a blend if the blend is not the best solution and then it happens that we do different bottlings but not means that you have different qualities, it's just different characters. The last years often had, for sure, uh, in looking at Domprobst Spätlese, for example, that we had a P number 10, which is more representing the, the classical style of a Spätlese. and then we often had a P number 5, which is maybe a bit more complex in comparison to number 10. And uh, so that happens maybe that the people are talking more about the ap numbers and uh, want to know more but it's great to see the interest because uh, yeah, i think 15 years ago uh, nobody was taking care of ap numbers but uh, now the knowledge i think it's fantastically high and so the questions come more and more why you have different ap numbers and it's just really that we have great different parcels which also transport great different characters and uh, that's just great to have them side by side even to show how different even the uh, single parcel can be
0: if i wanted to know what i had which bottle is there a way that i could find out should i be referencing a certain book or a certain online site should i be looking at terry's catalog how should i tell what the five means and what the ten means
2: it's on every bottle it is but it's it's very small um because we we're yeah not friends of keeping it too complicated because we also think yeah looking at the the wine law and and how all, all the description on the label already is it's enough information you find on the label uh when you when you you see it's it's
0: uh, no one's ever accused german wine labels of being too yeah, short yes, what you're and, and <laughs> so we
2: don't want to confuse or shock the people who are just want to have a good glass of wine uh, that they think uh, oh they We want to have a a, Spätlese from Karadomprups, but there's now number 10. What's it? Can we drink number 10 or not? Uh, And so for, let's say, the people who are very in the state and uh, have a great knowledge, uh, they know where to find the number. But for the people who want just to enjoy a great Spätlese, they will have a good class, whatever they they choose. But to mark them with stars or with single vineyard names or things that we are not big friends of because uh, then um, yeah you have to decide every year and uh, so we really like to keep it maybe also for the the people who are not so in Mosul wine law to not uh, confuse them.
0: (laughs) It's not the hugest group the the Mosul wine law fanatics so (laughs) it's probably a good idea not to just (laughs) cater to that market right. So you know something else. I wanted to ask: Is does terroir articulation happen differently in the GGs than the prodigate wines? In other words, is the signature of Dompros different in a dry wine than in an off-dry wine or a nobly sweet wine, or is it the same signature? The thing is, the dry wines
2: we have are from Himmelreich. Oh, okay. So the signature <laughs> so is not there. The signature is not there. <laughs> uh, because uh, often, the, because of the, the great minerality and earthy structure and powerful structure probes shows, it's that we think probes just cries for some residual sugar. <laughs> that we think you get a great balance in probes when you have uh, uh, also a, a bit of residual sugar. And Himmelreich is a bit more charming, more elegant, that it fits really Great to show uh, the, the dry Riesling also from uh, Himmelreich then. So Gigi was always from Himmelreich.
0: If I were to taste the fruits of the Alsace uh, Himmelreich and, and the Gigi Himmelreich, would they be the same fruits and, and sort of mineral characters? Or is it different when it's dry?
2: You, you find the terroir and the taste of the terroir. And they, they show the, the same fruitiness. Uh, but for sure, the sugar also helps you to show the fruit more than to have a, a dry wine where you for sure have less less sugar in the wine. So it's even showing the classical fruit components of Himmelreich. But for sure, maybe you you get more the minerality also because the the, the fruit is not so much dominating uh, like you may have it in a cabinet or Spätlese.
0: Why the decision to stay with just 4.2 hectare at the estate? I mean, you can trace the vineyard holdings back to the 12th century. Your dad's been there since the 70s, and then his dad, and then his grandfather. Why, during that period of time, was the decision made to to keep it a small family estate? The question, for sure, comes also very often
2: because the the demand is 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 really good. So we are very happy to to have so many people. Uh, liking our wines that's that's fantastic to see but yeah we we're limited in what we can do and for us it's really great to have our hand on everything and maybe for sure we would sell more if we have more hectares and more wine but if it would make us personally more happy I'm not sure and uh, so we are very happy with this size for sure it's small or you're very limited in what you can do in terms of uh, volume. But yeah, we are personally very happy to have our hand on everything and follow each little step perfectly, even starting with the estate wines and uh, up to the Auslese that you don't have to make any compromises in looking at each quality level that you just have enough time for every barrel. And uh, so we are yeah,
0: very happy with the size and there are no plans to double the estate or so. Christoph Schaefer of Willie Schaefer. He's happy to make the wines. And I, for one, am happy to drink them. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you. Christoph Schaefer of Willie Schaefer. All will drink to that is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs,